All right, good morning. It's good to see you. We're in Psalm 18. If you would turn there in your Bible, Psalm chapter 18. Kind of in the middle, right? You, that's how we always used to be led to find it in our Sunday school classes. They said, just open to the middle, and if you're not there, go a little bit to the left. And that's where it was. So Psalm 18 is where we're in. We've been there for two weeks. This is the third week uh, in Psalm 18, so um, happy to be there. One of the things I, I realized as we've studied the Psalms, and especially this Psalm, we've bro- broken Psalm 18 into six sermons, right? So this is the third of six going through this uh, one psalm. Um, it's, it's easy for us to, you know, you look at a scripture and say, well, here's the, here's the passage we're reading today, here's the verses, and we'll just pa- unpack that. But it's sometimes dangerous to do that, too. I, I remember Monday, I, I went back to this and read it, and it's been mapped out on my board in my office for, for weeks, and I, I went to read that passage, and I'm like, well, this is going to be awkward and weird, and how, do, how does this relate? And even myself, I had to remind myself, Brandon, go, go backwards a little bit in the text and go forward and go look, look at it for its context and see where we're at, because uh, sometimes we read a verse and it, uh, it thinks that we think it says something, but we don't get the full impact of that text unless we contextualize it with the surrounding text, right? We, uh, one of the rules I've always, been, I've always heard and we've mentioned, if you want to see clearly, you want to have what kind of vision? 20-20, right? That's the best vision, or if, if you're more than that, 15-20, whatever, but 20-20. But so if someone gives you a verse, go read 20 before it and 20 after it, you'll likely see more clearly what's, the, what's being said. So we are in uh, Psalm 18, and the first sermon we, we talked about, I, I do want to contextualize this a bit because I want us to, to remember where we came from the last couple weeks. Uh, the first sermon was David's rejoicing, and we saw that kind of in verses 1 through 4, where David rejoiced uh, in God because God had given him victory throughout his life over all his enemies uh, that he had. And it was an amazing rejoicing that he, he said, and we're going to see that in, in a few minutes again. Then we, he moved from that, he, then he saw, we, he started to say and show uh, God's rescue of him, how God rescued him. So we saw David rejoicing, then we saw David's rescue from God, and that was last week. It was kind of one of those phrases I put out there, you know, what happens when God moves, right? The earth shakes, and we'll see some of that again today. Just amazing, the movement of God, and God, what, what God does, remember, when God moves, he's moving in line with his, with his covenant love for you and I, that he wants to continue to, to progress forward with his covenant love for you, pursuing you, pursuing others. So when he moves, he's doing that in line with his covenant love for us. And then this week, we're looking at the next part of the text, and we see David's reward and how David feels about this treasure that he's found uh, in, in God. And, um, and, and not only that, we saw that this, this text goes on to the very end and, and foreshadows the Messiah because David knows that God has promised that out of the seed or out of the house and line of David, would come the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So David knows that. Here's what David knows, and I challenge you with this <clears throat> the first couple weeks, that David's victories, right, all of David's victories that he was given, he, he enjoyed them. He, he said, hey, this is an awesome victory, but the, the victories that he was given were given in order to make possible a greater victory. And that victory was Jesus Christ, that Jesus would be on scene for us, for you and I, that the Messiah would come. And David knew that. David understood that. And we'll see some of that today, too. And this is going to build over the next few weeks as we see that, that come to fruition, that this is about Jesus, not just about David and how great David is. This is about God, David's great God and, and how God accomplished what he wanted to accomplish through Jesus Christ for you and I. So we're going to see this, this movement of God's grace today uh, in the life of David. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to read the text and, and kind of see it for what it is, and then we're going to unpack it and kind of see surrounding what's really being said, what's really going on with it, okay? So let's pray, and then we'll get to work. Lord, we thank you so much for, for your great love for us. We come here today because we, we want to worship you. We want to express your glory and your grace. We want to express 
how we feel about you. But God, we also come as your children, humbling ourselves before you now. God, we ask that you would convict us of our sin, that you would challenge us in any way that you need to challenge us, that you would discipline us, and God, help us to become more like Jesus. Help us to be obedient children, children that are faithful to their Father. God, help us to delight in you as the greatest treasure of all. And as we delight in you, in, in you and are faithful to you, God, we see how you delight in us and are faithful to us. Open our eyes now and our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, Psalm 18, we'll read the text together, verses 20 through 27. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not turned from my God to wickedness. Indeed, I let all his ordinances guide me and have not disregarded his statutes. I was blameless toward him and kept myself from my iniquity. So the Lord repaid me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the faithful, you prove yourself faithful. With the blameless, you prove yourself blameless. With the pure, you prove yourself pure. But with the crooked, you prove yourself shrewd. For you rescue an oppressed people, but you humble those with haughty eyes. All right, so we're going to unpack that a bit, and we're going to look at two aspects of David's reward today. I think two things that he would find, this was, this was a reward for me, and, and we see expressed in this text. Number one is this, David's reward was a genuinely clear conscience, a genuinely clear conscience. Now, remember you have in your bulletin the sermon notes, you can follow along with those, uh, with the verses that we're going to be covering today, and you'll see the points. And again, on the back of that, it's not for like this morning right now, but on the back of that is a discussion guide that you can go home with your family or by yourself or with your small group and, and read over those discussion questions. Ask, ask and answer those discussion questions. Read the texts that are, that are there and, and see what God might show you through that, okay? So David's reward was a genuinely clear conscience. Let, let me read verse 20 again to you and just let, let me show you my dilemma that I, I came face to face with for a few minutes um, a Monday morning again. He says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands. Interesting to hear that text. It's like, wait a minute, that, I don't think we don't get rewarded because of our righteousness. We don't, we don't earn anything from God because we were good enough, do we? we? Every single Sunday, I come up here and tell us and tell you, and God tells us that we could never earn the righteousness that only He can offer. We could never earn the forgiveness that only He accomplished on that cross because we didn't go there. And if we did, that is where we would be bound because we deserve that. But God has accomplished it for us. So there's, there's something going on here that, that we, we don't see. So I want to build this case for you a little bit more about, <clears throat> about God. Because we tend to forget. I read that and I'm like, what's David saying? He's spouting his mouth off again about self-righteousness and how good he is and how, how glorious he's looked over the years. But is that what he's really doing? That's not at all. Look at, let's look at the context of this, this passage. Look up to verse 1 with me. Let's look up to see how did, how did David, how has David kind of set the table or set the stage for us today? Verse 1, if we go back to verse 1 through 3, here's what David says. He says, I love you, Lord. My strength, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, the shield and horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He says, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. David begins this psalm giving credit to who? To God. He says, this is all about God. It's not about my own self-righteousness. David says, God, I love you, Lord, my rock, 
I cling to you. You're, you're the one that, that is unshakable. You're my rock and you're, you're my, my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. Remember we talked about this. He's my God and my rock where I seek refuge. And we talked about that phrase where I seek refuge. What he's saying is that he is, he is seeking refuge and trusting God to be that refuge. And it was that stepping out in faith towards God and that we would be hidden and secure under the shadow of his wings. That he would be the only rescue that would really ever make sense for us. The only firm footing that we could ever have would be in God. And see, David understood that. David knows that God is the rock, that God is his rock, that God is his forgiveness and his shield and his fortress and his refuge, that there's no cleansing that David could have on his own. There's no righteousness that David could have on his own. There's nothing he could earn on his own. And we have to be so diligent about correcting ourselves and our own hearts or our own mentality when it comes to that point of saying, I can be self-righteous. I can earn my own way because it sets up a, a, a system where we are guaranteed to fail. Why? Because we can never, ever measure up. But God can, and God did. And David knew that. So <clears throat> David is setting the table for us saying, God is this awesome. He is this good. He is this saving. All the credit, all the glory, David says, goes to him. Now look, jump down to verse 7. Remember, this is, this is what happened. He, he cried out to God. I called on the Lord because he wanted rescued. Right? And, and what did God do? I, I, this is what happened when God moved. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of the mountains trembled. They shook because he, that is God, burned with anger towards what was going on to David. The injustice there. Have, have you ever been so mad that the earth shook? Yes, I have. No, you have not, right? You think you have, but sometimes we feel that way. But we never have been so angry, so mad on such a just cause that we were able to cause the earth to shake. God has. God can. Why? Because he is God and he is mighty and he is mighty to save. And David knew that. That's why he cried out to him. That's why he said, God, I need your help. If, if we're to have the greater victory, if, if the line and seed of my family is to go on, I need to live if Jesus is to be born, I need to see you move. We need to see the mountains shake and for you to come and rescue me. And he did. Verse 7 says the mountains shook. And then verse 16, it goes on down, down the line here. We're getting ready for verse 20, right? Verse 16 says he reached down. This is amazing. We, we spend all of our lives reaching up, trying to reach up and, and grab and claw our way to the top, and it will never work. And what Scripture tells us is He, God, reached down from on high, and He took hold of me, and He pulled me out of deep water. I asked you last week, have you ever been in deep water? Yeah, yeah. It's amazing that, that when we're in deep water, we can't get out. We need someone to rescue us, someone to save us. And God, in, his, in the personal God that He is, reaches down with His hand, from on high, and he takes hold of us and pulls us out. Then look at verse 19. It shows kind of where. He said, he, he brought me out to a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. So we see the beginning of this, that David's in like this dire strait, surrounded on all sides, feeling no hope at all. And he calls out to the Lord who is mighty to move and mighty to save and mighty to pull him out of deep water and not only get him out of deep water, he puts him in a spacious place. He lets his, himself have a, have a breath and take a breath. And stand in open spaces in freedom. See, that's the God that David's talking about. And, and David, wherever he is in his life, whatever he says next in verse 20, is not because he is so great, it's because God is so great. Amen? So we have to start there. 
Because otherwise we'd say, man, I got a lot of work to do to catch up to David. A lot of work. And you're right, we would. But God did the work for us through Christ. And in Christ we can have forgiveness and freedom. And we get a righteousness, right? This, this perfection, this holiness that we could never have on our own. It was something that he imputed to us. When we trust Christ in faith as Savior, Scripture says that he, he is then wrapping us. We are wrapped in Christ's righteousness. We're clothed in his clothing. I'll, I'm going to give you an illustration because I was grossed out by it, and I don't think I need to be the only one grossed out by it. It was in the commentaries I read. It's like, we're all like onions. And Jesus is like the saran wrap that makes the smell go away. Like, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> Those onions are pretty potent sometimes, so now you know it's a gross illustration. I, I, it didn't work for me either. But I'm the filthy rags, and Jesus has paid the price that I deserve to pay for me. And through that price that he's paid, he has now given me a freedom and a forgiveness because of my faith and trust in him, wrapping me in his righteousness. My, as filthy as my clothes are, he can't, he's not going to get the stains out of that. He's just going to take his perfect robe and say, here you go, you can have this one instead. Be clean. And that's what he does for us. So we see that progression there. And, and then we get in to verse 20. So he, here's my thought. Let's read verse 20 again. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands. What well, wasn't his cleanness? Again, I'm, I'm going to read one more passage out of 1 Kings for you. 1 Kings 15. It says this, For David did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and he did not turn aside from anything that he had commanded him in all the days of his life. Wow, it's almost setting us up like there's something big about David going on here. But the verse goes on, it says, all the days of his life, except, right, uh-oh, except in the matter of Uriah, the Hethite, or Hittite. Uriah, in the matter of Uriah. Who was Uriah? Well, he was the husband of uh, Bathsheba, right, who David decided to lust after and sleep with and conceive a child with. And then that, that wasn't, you know, bad enough. He decided, well, maybe I'll try to make it look like it's his child, so we'll bring him off the army lines and bring him home so he can sleep with his wife and she'll get pregnant and that'll be his kid and we'll all be off the hook. Well, Uriah being the upstanding man that he was, what did he do? He, he slept on the doormat of his house because his soldiers were out there and he didn't deserve that. And David's like, I'm in trouble now. So he sent Uriah back out to the front front lines to die. David, when you look at this, this scene with Bathsheba and you look at this, this scene with Uriah and this whole story and circumstance. David, I mean, if you look at the Ten Commandments, David's broken all of them. If you look through all of what he should have done and didn't do, this guy is not a righteous, perfect, pure, blameless guy. So when he says, he says, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands. We're not quite getting the full picture here. What we understand, though, is that he has trusted God as his refuge, God as his cleanness, God as his rescue and salvation, and that because he's trusted in God's righteousness for him, he is now clean. And what, what happens now in his life is an overflow, that he says, I'm, I'm righteous, I'm made right because of God and what God has done. Now I want to live my life in a way that's pleasing to my Father. I want to live my life in a way that's, that's blameless, that's sincere, that has no hidden motive, that has no guilt behind it. And he goes on. Let's, let's look at what he says. Let's look at how his life looked after God's righteousness got a hold of him. Verse 21. <clears throat> and, and understand, I only understand before we get there. Verse, verse 20, he's like, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. He repaid me according to the cleanness of my hands. David is constantly fighting a battle against people who are accusing him of sin. 
or accusing him of being horrible or evil or whatever it is. So he can't continue to go to God. A lot of his prayers say, God, you need to be my justice. You need to be the one that's fighting my right hand, the one that, that is proving that I'm, I'm innocent. My heart is, is pure here. My motives are pure. Think about your own life. Don't you hate it when people come against you and say something about you and about your character or your integrity? And you know in your heart of heart, that's not me. I, I don't believe that. I don't live that way. I don't think that way. And, and you, want, you want justice. You want, you want to stand up and say, listen, that's, that's wrong. See, for David, the man after God's own heart who was totally sinful, he stood before God, humbled by God as that sinner, and then changed forever by the forgiveness and righteousness that God gave him. But as he went out and stood before mankind, he stood in a way and could stand in a way where he had clean hands and they could see the righteousness in his life that he honestly desired to follow God in every way, that he was a man after God's own heart. So he says in verse 21, For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not turned from my God to wickedness. So he, he explains what this righteousness looks like. It's not a righteousness that is totally good and he's perfect for heaven. That's what only God can give. But he's explaining that what he's talking about with this righteousness. He says, uh, the Lord, he's rewarded me according to my righteousness and my clean uh, hands for, so there's the idea of that word for, says, here's what that looks like. I've kept the ways of the Lord. So his mind and his eyes and his heart were on God and his word. And, and he put God and his word always in front of him. That that's where he would go. That that's who, who he would look after. That that's who he would model. For I've kept the ways of the Lord and I have not turn. So you notice that, for I have, and the next line in that sentence says, I have not. There's a difference there. And, and when we talk about this will, the matter of the will, that I have and I have not, we need to understand there's some depth to that. This is, uh, this is intentional, willful persistence of heart. And it can be inclined towards good or towards evil. We can do that, right? We have this intentional, willful persistence of heart, and we can incline it towards what David says are the ways of the Lord, or we can say what David said that he did not do. I did not, I have not turned from my God to wickedness. So for you and I, we need to understand that will of our heart is strong at times. But when we make that decision that I am going to follow God, I'm going to follow what he says, that is a willful, persistent, intentional decision from the heart. But when we decide to not follow God and turn away from God to, to other behavior, to wickedness of what Scripture says, that is also a willful, persistent, intentional decision of the heart. I love how he mentions, he says, I've kept the ways of the Lord and I have not turned from my God to wickedness. We've said this many times in the past few weeks. David uses this terminology, my God. I will not turn from my God. And see, there's this personal aspect of his relationship to God that is beautiful. That, that has remained and that he has this, this habitual, constant communion with God, a relationship with God that thrives. It's not just there. It's set up as a standard of good and a standard of bad. And David, once in a while, gets it wrong. He's like, he is my God. He has been my rescue and my fortress and my rock, on and on. We saw that earlier. And he's embraced him as such that he's his God. That That's who he wants to have communion with. That's who he wants to have a relationship with. That's who he wants to please from the bottom of his heart. Is he going to mess up? Yeah, he's going to mess up. And he did. At the, at the core of who he is, he does not want to turn from God to wickedness. Verse 22, it says, Indeed, and that's two, two of these phrases here, I let and I have not done, right? It says, Indeed, I let all his ordinances guide me. 
and have not disregarded his statutes. He's saying, I'm, I'm keeping him, his word in front of me. Right? I want to make sure that his word is part of my heart, his ordinances, what he says to do is true. And, and those, those words and those truths are something I should hold in dearly in my heart and follow. He clings to that. I, I was reading these commentators. He says, and he goes on, I have not disregarded his statutes. There's a quote used by one of the commentators. It might have been in Spurgeon as we read this. I think it was actually. Well, what happens when we, when we disregard the statutes? When we say, well, okay, there's my Bible. I've, I've, I've learned a little bit, and I set it down, and it sits there on the nightstand sometimes, right? And what does it do it, when it, we don't move it? It kind of collects what? It collects dust, right? It's kind of one of those gross things. You move your Bible. It's like, oh, there's a square underneath it. It's like, okay, you know? And, you know, it, everyone gets to that point sometimes, like, oh, I should have I picked that Bible up, and now we have apps on our phone that t- read the Bible to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But get, I want you to understand this. Here's a quote. Dusty Bibles will eventually lead to dirty clothes. Dusty, yeah, ooh. Dusty Bibles will eventually lead to dirty clothes. When we don't value what God values, our lives will show that. And, and, and David was in a place like, I don't want dirty clothes. I don't want shame and guilt. And I want people to look and say how improper I am and how, how undignified I am. I want people to look and say, that's a man after God's own heart. And what does he say he did? He said, I've, I've let all his ordinances guide me, and I've not disregarded his statutes. I've not let that book claim or, or get cluttered with dust. I followed it. Verse 23, he says, I was blameless toward him, toward God, and kept myself from my iniquity. This word blameless was used in a previous psalm we had read, and we talked about this idea of blamelessness. Like, like think about the relationship with children. They want to please their, their parents. For the most part, like, I want to please my parents just to make them be quiet at least, right? To get off my back. Right, teenagers? Yeah. They would get off my back. But there's, it's deeper than that. This blamelessness goes into this depth of core of conviction where you can say, I, I not only want to please them and get them off my back, I want, I want to have them looking and inspecting and tearing me apart because I want, from the depth of who I am, to be their child, and I want to do what they've asked me to do. That's, that's when he says, I was blameless before him. That I stood, he said, I stood before God. I could stand before God with an open heart, totally exposed, with pure motives, with, with no pretense, with nothing I'm hiding or no shame or guilt that I know of, and I'd stand before him. I remember a couple weeks ago we said this. That's great, you do that. And then what do you do? If you're really, really being blameless, you let him expose you. Because oftentimes we go, go in front of God and say, God, here I am, I'm blameless, there's nothing I, I know of that's wrong, what are we going to do next? And what we need to do next is ask, God, is there something I've missed? Is there something in me that you need to change or fix? Because I want to be pure towards you. And he says, I've kept myself from my iniquity. So he's got this sin- sincere heart that he can stand before God. But there's, I want you to think about this in your notes. You can write down, remember and thank. Right next to this part of verse 23, remember and thank. I, I want to keep my, or kept myself from my iniquity. Here's what this, this looks like. You think about the sins that, that um, invade and the temptations that come up in our lives. There are lots that do. And oftentimes we fall to them, and there are great times, and a lot of times we have victory over them. But when we have a sincere heart, a pure heart, our desire is to not fall into temptation. Our desire is to be obedient to our Father because we love Him. And what David's saying is, when I kept myself from my iniquity, here's what it's remembering, that I remember the times of self-denial and the times I, I resisted temptation, the times I said no, and when I had strength over temptation, I remember and then I thank God for the hurt or the mess that I was missed, that, that was saved from, that I missed. Think back in your life. 
And, it's so, and this is so important for the temptation you're going to face today after you walk out these doors. That you remember back to the time you said no to something that was against God and you said yes to God. And you remember what you said no to and you remember what you were spared from. Because that, that's what happens, right? We think about parenting. The same, same, we, we have rules in our family, in our household. They're for our children's benefit. It's for the, the benefit of the home and for the family and for the family name. It's for their benefit. And when they break those rules, there are consequences. And those consequences lead to some pretty good hurt sometimes and a pretty good mess sometimes and broken fellowship at times, right? But we decide, like, I'm, I'm going to actually be a part of this family in the way that this family works. I'm going to follow what my parents say. I'm going to listen and obey. I'll, I'll, or, or at the very, very worst, I'll have a conversation so I can wrap my heart around what's really going on here. And see, God is willing to have that conversation. In fact, he's had it and given it to us that we might learn from him and grow and know exactly why he says what he says and why it's important. So for you and I to keep ourselves from our iniquity is, is a lifesaver. For some of us who haven't been kept from iniquity, and all, that's all of us, right? We, we've all fallen in different ways. We've all sinned in different ways. I guarantee you there's hurt there. There's a guy I always listen to. He says that there's a lot of baggage and carry-ons in my trunk. Because I... We have it, right? We have a mess that we carry around. The more we can resist and the more we say no, the more we're going to be spared from, the more we're going to be able to live blamelessly before him and feel the freedom that that righteous life brings. So, verse 24 says, So the Lord repaid me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands and his sight. He repeats that again. The Lord rewarded me. So here, David, you have David who, who has embraced God and his righteousness, who doesn't think he's perfect. And we'll, I'll read some more in just a minute about that. But we have David who has embraced Christ and his righteousness and, and that, that he has been his forgiveness and he's been his refuge and his strength. And, and out of that, he said, I'm going to live in a way that now honors him. I'm going to live in a way that clears my conscience and frees me of guilt and frees the burden off of my heart that I don't have to live under shame and guilt anymore or do it on my own. And he says, when, and this is the great thing. When he says, when I lived that way, when I chose to live in obedience and righteousness and faithfulness, God saw it and God rewarded that. God rewarded me. You think about how that works. You think about the family dynamic and how that works with my kids. Like, I, 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 you don't want a parent that lives inconsistently and says, well, I'm going to reward you if you're good, uh, but do whatever you want. I'll probably reward you anyway. That's not how we raise children. There are consequences to actions. There are consequences to sin, and we feel the effects of that, and we'll see that in a minute. Turn with me to Psalm 51, if you would. Keep your, keep your finger here, your ribbon here in the Bible. Turn to Psalm 51. It's a little later. <clears throat> I don't think it was necessarily, uh, I don't think it was earlier in the Psalms. I think Psalm 18 was later, because the Psalm in Psalm 18 says that this was a Psalm of David that he, he recounted after God had given him victories over all his enemies throughout his life. So he's recounting what God had done. But Psalm 51 was after a certain time with uh, the sin with Bathsheba, and he, he was confronted, and here's what he says to God. So this, this is what I'm using this text for. I feel that this, this text is, is a place that will illuminate David's heart and really help us understand that he was not a self-righteous person, but that he was one who trusted in a righteousness that could only come from God. And he sought that, and he desired that. And then once he had that, he desired to live as an outflow of his life in a righteous way. So Psalm 51, we'll read 1 through 13 together, and we'll keep our finger there. We'll come back to it in, for the next point. It says this, it says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. He's, he's owning up to it, right? Completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me 
from my sin. For I, look at verse 3, I am conscious of my rebellion. David says, I know I have done something wrong. I know that I am not right. I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Do you ever feel that way? You're conscious of your rebellion and that nagging thing that you, in that unrepentant place of, I haven't dealt with this, it continues to nag and fester and poke and prod and make you feel uncomfortable and guilty and ashamed and isolate. That's what sin does. David's like, I've had it. I don't want it anymore. My sin's always before me. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. He, this is David who goes to God as, God, be my judge. Be, my, be my, my defense attorney. Be the guy that goes with me to prove my heart is pure. And now he says, God, my heart is totally wicked. My heart, I am so wrong, and you are right to pass a sentence on me. Not to come to my defense, to pass a sentence on me and, and judge me. Indeed, he says, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. And here's a statement of verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. David does not think his actions, his attitude, his own works will ever make him white as snow. He goes to God and says, You, God, purify me, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed, me, right, rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. In verse 10, this is the overflow. So he goes to God in confession and prayer, and he says, God, I, I want to be right with you. I want you to forgive me. I want, I want this to be done. You are my righteousness. Make me clean. And then what's he say in verse 10? God, create in me, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is the overflow. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach a rebellious, the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. See, David's had this, this moment of, of total repentance before God and God has forgiven him. And he says, let that forgiveness, let that righteousness that only comes from you, let that be the motivation I need to overflow with joy and with righteousness and with righteous living and with the words out of my mouth being praised to you wherever I go. David says, I'm going to live as in an overflow state of what you have already accomplished in me. So we see from Psalm 51 that David was not a righteous man, but he sought the Lord's righteousness and God gave him a righteousness that was not his own. And then he began to overflow with a desire to live in a way that was righteous, to live in a way that was holy and pleasing to God. So it's an overflow. Uh, you don't need to turn there. You read this actually in your group or your family later from Matthew chapter 5. Um, some people tend, think I tend to overuse this part of the scriptures, and I think I've said that multiple times. I don't think I do. I think this is the gospel, plain and clear. Matthew 5 is the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and, and Jesus is there, and he's, he's talking to his disciples, and he goes through this progression of what it looks like to get a righteousness that was never yours to begin with. He says you have to mourn, right? You have to be poor in spirit, broken over sin. You mourn over your own sin. You know how bad you really are, and that causes a meekness in you or a humility in you that makes you absolutely empty and feel like you're worth nothing. And because you're so empty, it says that you'll hunger and thirst for righteousness. It does not say you will find your own righteousness, you will earn your own righteousness, you'll get your act together, put some pants on and get back to work and go work hard. It says that you and I will be in desperation on the floor in front of him 
to whom we must give an account and be absolutely empty and our stomach growling, just like it probably is right now, our stomach growling, hungering, and thirsting for righteousness. And then it says, and you will be filled. Not with your own, but with a righteousness that comes from God in Christ. And then we see the progression after this righteousness fills them. And it says, blessed are the merciful and blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, righteous living. You see, there's an overflow. So David understood what it was to be poor in spirit. We saw it in Psalm 51. He understood what it was like to be poor in spirit, to mourn over his sin, to be absolutely humbled before God and empty, needing all of him to fill him up. And he asked for that. And in faith, he trusted that he could fill him up and save him and wipe out his sin. And God did that. And then the rest of his life was an overflow of mercy and being pure in heart and, and being persecuted because of right living and righteousness. In verse 11 of this, this passage, says, You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me and because of your choice for righteous living. He says, Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. See, David knew my reward God's going to reward me for my righteousness. Not my own righteousness. God's going to reward me for living righteously because he has filled me with his righteousness. Amen? David embraced God's righteousness, and he devoted himself to following the Lord, and this resulted in a godly life, and God then rewarded that godly life. He rewarded that. Why? Because that's number two. Part of David's reward is a faithful God. He's a faithful God. And David knew that. Go back to Psalm 18. Let's turn back there together. There we go. We'll read the rest of this little section together and see how God is faithful. Verses 25 through 27. It says, With the faithful, you prove yourself faithful. With the blameless, you prove yourself blameless. With the pure, you prove yourself pure. But with the crooked, you prove yourself shrewd. For you rescue an oppressed people, but you humble those with haughty eyes. So he, he, David is, is all excited that, that he has this pure and sincere, genuinely sincere heart before God, and, the re, and God is rewarding him for that genuinely sincere heart. It's both a reward to have it and a reward to, to have it, right? You, you have a heart, so God says, hey, way to go. And you have part of having that genuine sincerity is the reward. But overarching all of that, David says, my greatest reward was Christ's righteousness, a righteousness I could never achieve on my own. That was the greatest reward I had. And then I lived for him, and God continued to be faithful to me and reward me. And that's where we see God's faithfulness show up. You think about the household. I go back to this, the idea in my household. There are every minute of the days that my kids want to do their own thing. I was going to say there are times in my family, right? But those times are every minute of every day. My kids want to do whatever they want. You ever do that? Yeah, we're children too, right? And, and listen, we have to set boundaries. We have to say this is what living faithfully and respectfully and responsibility or responsibly in our family looks like. And this is what it doesn't look like. And, and what kind of parent would I be if I allowed my kids to, to disobey what I've asked them to do and to go do whatever they wanted with no consequence? I'd be a horrible parent. I'd make a little anarchist who would be no it wouldn't be productive for our family. It wouldn't be a, a citizen in whatever community they're in. I want to mold them and help them and shape them and let them understand what's right and wrong. I want them to wrap their heart around that, not just do what I ask, 
but to wrap their hearts around that as well. But for me to be a faithful dad, that's a gift to my kids. To be a faithful dad to my kids when they are obedient. Well done, son. Well done, daughter. Good job on that. Why did you do that? That's awesome. Good job. And when they're disobedient, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not well done. That's not how we do things here. And to correct that and to discipline our children. See, a good parent, a good dad, a good mom is faithful when they do two different things. When they discipline their children and when they show their children that they are delighted that they are obeying. See, too, we, we tend to err too, too far on one side. We, we discipline. Quit that. But man, I tell you what, our kids, our friends, our family, you and I, we need, we need some positive reinforcement too. Well done. I am so proud of you. It's amazing. I, I try to do that as best I can. And now, of course, when I don't or when, I, when my daughter thinks I should, she's like, Daddy, are you proud of me? I did this. Oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I want her to know I'm so proud of you. And David understood this was God, his heavenly father, that when David, when David needed it, that God would be faithful to discipline him. Because that's what a faithful God does. And when David was treasuring God and delighting in God and, and living a life that was righteous and just and blameless and pure, he knew that his delight was in God and that was his delight was in God, God would be delighted in David. He would be proud of his son. Bless you. Let's, let's read this text together. Again, with the faithful, you prove yourself faithful. Hey, I'm there for you. With the blameless, you prove yourself blameless. I, I, I'm here. Our hearts are connected. I, I'm sharing my heart with you, and you're sharing your heart, and it's pure, and I'll, I'll expose if there's something wrong. With the pure, you prove yourself pure. Say, same thing. I, I, God's holiness and purity is wanting us to have the same thing. But with the crooked, you prove yourself shrewd. Interesting word study you can do on this and maybe talk about it in your groups. But it, it's, it's this almost torturous is one of the translations that I read. It's a torturous or, and, and, and the way, the way I kind of see this in parenting and relating it back to, to God is he is going to use whatever means necessary for me to get the point that he's not satisfied. And not that he's just not satisfied, because that, that seems, if you think about it in a human standpoint, that seems almost selfish on a parent's standpoint. Like, I'm not satisfied. I didn't, you didn't. And sometimes our kids don't have to satisfy us, but we want them to obey and delight in obeying, right? So what God is trying to do is he wants to, us to get the point that we are outside of his will. We are outside of what is good for us, and what is, we are outside of what is good to bring glory to God. And see, that's, that's what we're looking for, is, is a God who's going to be faithful to discipline us and to give us His delight as we delight in Him. Well, in the end, David may have been rewarded for a genuinely blameless life. His real reward was the righteousness he had in God through Christ Jesus. And he embraced that as his greatest delight, and he treasured that, and, and he became faithful in his life and obedient in his life to God. And as he did that, God was faithful and obedient to him. And when he needed discipline, he was disciplined. And when he needed discipline and was disciplined, he made the choice, as you and I should make, to repent of our rebellion to turn from our sin and say, God, I want to follow you. I want to, again, delight in you. 
give me a clear conscience. And he delighted in the God who was faithful to rescue him and give him this overwhelming joy and abundance. So for me today, there's two application points here. Turn back to Psalm 51 as, as we close up. I want to, this will be the last passage. I want us to see this a little more clearly. So we have this, this faithful God who, who doesn't care about lip service and doesn't care about our, us earning our way and just checking off the boxes so that we're pleasing to Him. But He wants us to be all in with our heart, not just our actions. So let's read the rest of Psalm 51, verse 14 and following. Save me from the guilt and bloodshed, God, of the God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. He said, I want to be faithful to you, God. Verse 16, you do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. You notice that you are not God. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. I don't care about your lip service. I don't care about you checking off the boxes. The sacrifice pleasing to God is, and here's the the crux of this, here's what what pleases God, a broken spirit. He says, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God. See, David knew that. David wanted that. David said, just just break, break my spirit of rebellion. Break me down to that place of humility before you that you'd humble me. That, that you be loving and compassionate as you do, but God, that I would turn back to you and embrace you because you, God, are faithful in every single way. So application. In view of God's, for the first part of this, in view of God's grace and mercy and his steadfast love for us, he's extended a forgiveness and righteousness to you. So here's the application. Either you have that or you don't have that. He said, here's Jesus Here's his righteousness. Here's here's the wings that you could live under in the shadow of and be protected and secure. Trust in that and stop trusting in yourself. That's first application. Believe. Trust in the Lord Jesus and be saved. The second is this. If you have done that, if you have that relationship where you can say, he is my God and he has given me a righteousness I never earned and has accomplished so much through the cross and through the resurrection. If you have that, then live like that. Live in a way that says, I want to overflow and abound in joy and obedience to my Father who is in heaven. Live in humble, satisfied obedience to him. And then we see this last part of a faithful God. That's part of our reward. God's a faithful God. Trust in his faithfulness. Listen, we tend to think God is so great and he's, he's so gracious and, and we need to, to trust in grace and just and to do whatever we want and he'll give us more and more grace. That's not how it works. It wouldn't be a gracious father if he didn't discipline his kids. So trust in his faithfulness. To one, discipline us. Maybe for you, maybe for me, at this point, we know there's something in our heart, there's something in our life that we have been doing wrong. And God has been there like, oh, eh, this is, you're not, you need to, it's not just that you're not, like, you haven't quite got it yet, or you're not quite, you haven't grown up enough in that area, you're maybe younger. It's just that you know you have blatantly sinned against God, and you're living in that rebellion, and God's like, I'm going to be faithful to you in this way. You're messing up. Come back to me. Come back to center. Let's, let's get back on track together. 
God is faithful. You're, God has given you a reward of his faithfulness and a means of grace through discipline. Return to him. The second part of this application is this. Trust in his faithfulness as you are faithful to him that he is delight, delighting in you because you have delighted so greatly in him. See, God is faithful so faithful to us that that increases our joy and delight and satisfaction in him. And as that increases, guess what? He's saying, oh, I'm so glad you're, I'm so glad you like that. I'm so glad you're delighting me. I'm so glad you, you trusted me. I'm so glad that you're, you're coming to me with a sincere and pure heart. Part of God's faithfulness is discipline. The other part is that he wants to delight in us as we delight in him. And that's David. David wasn't perfect. David wasn't righteous. He wasn't self-righteous. He was made right because of God. And he overflowed with obedience and pleasure in God and desire that God would be delighted in him. All right, let's stand and pray. Father, we are so grateful to be your children. And God, I, I know that some of us here may not be. And we, I pray that those who would be here today and would be hearing about this righteousness that's not their own, would trust in faith in Jesus Christ, that he can be in extending righteousness, that their, their hunger pains would not just be for lunch, they would be for you, that you would fill them because you're the only hope that we have. And God, for us who have trusted in your righteousness, may we continue to desire to live righteously for you, to shine you and show you to the world around us in a great way, in a glorious way. And God, that we would trust that you are rewarding us as we are faithful to you, that you have our back, but God, that you are also a faithful God, and that is our reward as well. And God, that you're faithful to continue to, to delight in us as we delight in you, and God, you're faithful to discipline us when we wander away. Help us have the, the grace and the humility that we need to repent and return to you whenever we need to. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we close our service, we always close in a song, and that's, that's a song, an opportunity to respond from our heart to what God's word has said to it and done in it. So, so I encourage you to sing. And maybe you need to stop and pray where you are. Just pray that, that God would get you back on track or you're feeling that nudging and just, just let him come back in and get back on track. Maybe you need to pray with somebody. I'm